the grace to be generous. That's it. And our giving has to flow from a heart full of God's grace of generosity to be acceptable to God. So that's where I want to uh, take you this morning. We're generous for a whole number of reasons. We're a generous people because we live in a generous country. Britain is very generous, you know. Um, We're going through times of austerity, we've been told for now, about four years, but we still give aid to developing countries. Isn't that wonderful? Please say amen. Because I hear a lot of people groaning and complaining about that. We can't pick up that groan and complaint as Christians. We're a kind people. You're generous, kind people here today. We can afford to be generous because generally we're quite comfortable, aren't we? I understand some have more than others. None of us are exceptionally rich, or if you are, you've kept it very quiet, and I don't know about it. You've done a good job. I think I had said if I was ever incredibly rich, I would keep it quiet too, so I could maintain true friends. We're comfortable so that we can give. We can be generous. There's enough to go around, isn't there? We can share a little bit with others. And because we're Christians, and because Christ has entered into our lives, we're generous. It's part of what Christians become. They become generous people. But some people are more generous than other people. Even in the context of this group this morning, some are more generous than others. I'll ask you a question. Would you like to be more generous? Would you? So there's room for expansion, is there? There's room for a bit of growth. There's some reality amongst you. You haven't come to the point of saying, that's it, I'm as generous as that, and I'm not going to be any more generous than I am. And what is, what is the limit to our generosity? Surely it is the pattern which Christ has given us. To be as generous as Jesus. He lives in us and we live in him. We are co-heirs with him. We share our lives with him. And so we have that potential, because of Christ, to be as generous as Jesus himself. Have you ever wondered why people are generous at Christmas? You say, well, it's Christmas. Oh, no, no, something's happening. Something is happening to people at Christmas. I don't know if this is true, but what I believe, there is a spirit afoot. Now, a lot of my life I'm dealing with the bad ones, but there's a good one at Christmas. When you exalt Jesus, and he's on the lips of the people, and they sing his praises, even if they don't know who he is, and they remember him, I believe a grace is poured out from God upon those people. And it is a grace that comes at Christmas, a grace of generosity. 
of kindness, of the desire to be with our friends, to enjoy things that God has provided. I believe that to be true. I just don't believe... I believe everything has a spiritual implication to it. There's spirits working in and through everything. I believe Christmas to be an annual reminder of the kingdom of God. That God never lets us go more than 365 days and then he says, Hi, remember me. I'm the one who brings peace and life and love and joy and friendship and family and fun and feasting. Remember me? I'm the God of the whole world. And I've come to remind you that I exist. I believe that's the grace of God. Every Christmas, I didn't realise this until I was thinking about this. Every Christmas, I watch Christmas Carol. Do you? I mean, there are dozens of productions of it. The one I saw this year was sort of a musical, and I think Albert Finney was in it. That's how old it is. And I watch, I watch this story again. Fantastic story, isn't it, by Charles Dickens. And it tells the story of someone who is overwhelmed with generosity. You might remember the story with old Ebenezer Scrooge, isn't it? And He's a miser. He's had a terrible life and things have gone wrong in his life and it's caused him to be like this. He's a, he's a grabber and a getter. He don't want to give anything away. And the whole scene is set with different people coming into his life and he's mean with all of them. Doesn't give money to the workhouse and he doesn't want to give the children who are singing carols and he doesn't want to give his employee. Don't we give anybody anything? Humbug! And he epitomises the worst of meanness. And on Christmas Eve, he gets a visit, doesn't he? From Jacob Marley, his old partner. And he's been dead seven years. And he comes as a ghost and he's pulling his chains with him. And he's terrified, poor old Ebenezer Scrooge. And he says, you're going to have three invitations tonight. The ghost of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. And the rest of the production is the visits of these three ghosts. And in their visits, they explain something of why he is like he is. Great story. Because he wakes up the next morning shocked to his very roots. Something has happened to him. And he starts to be generous. But what struck me, that's never struck me before, he had a change of heart. He had a generosity of heart. That's possible when Christ comes to our lives. All of a sudden, he likes the children who are singing. All of a sudden, he wants to go and have a meal with his nephew. He wants to take concern for his employer and his sick child. It's not just the giving away of money. You can give away lots of money 
and not have a generous heart. Did you know that? Some Christians give and they're very unhappy in their giving. I've heard them. He had something happen to him that produced a change of heart. A generous heart. And of course, it, it led to the giving out of things because he was in a position to give out much. He was a very rich man because of his meanness. Do you know, God is not a getter. God is a giver. The very nature and heart of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is to give. When he created the world and he put Adam in it, he gave him the world. He lost the world. He gave it to him and he lost it for us. He gave him the animals and all the plants and the food-bearing plants and he said, you name them, they're yours. It's yours, it's all yours. I'm not a God who wants to hold things. I'm a God who wants to give things away. And it says of Jesus, all the fullness of deity was in Jesus. It's as though God took everything and put it into Jesus himself. He was the manifestation of the Godhead. He was full of God. It says in that passage where he sends us on the commission to go into all the world, he says, all authority and power has been given to me by the Father. All authority. God gave it to him. And then we find that when God looked at the world in its fallen state, he gave us his only son to save us. The very nature of the God who made us and created us is a giver. And so we go back in our fallen state to the giver. And what God wants to do is pour his grace of giving through us. If we will let him. If we will let him. The church does not have a monopoly on generosity. In fact, sometimes the church doesn't live up to everything that it should in this realm of generosity. Hence the passage in Corinthians. They have a lot to say about it, but Paul says, make sure that your speaking about generous is matched by the gift that you have when I come so I can take it to the poor. I've met some non-Christians who are more generous than Christians. I've met some non-Christians who are more honest than Christians. People say to me, I'm looking for a plumber. Do you know any Christian plumbers? I says, what difference does that make? No, I know what they mean. They should be honest, shouldn't they? Or a Christian car salesman, or a Christian electrician, or a Christian anything. But they're not always. 
when God created humanity, God was in humanity. And Satan came and marred humanity with sin. But now humanity still has the traces of the God heart. You can find lots of non-Christian people who have tremendous virtues within them. Godly virtues. Although they're not born again of the Spirit of God. So we definitely don't have a monopoly on it. But when God opened up the way for us to return to him through Jesus Christ, he also made it possible. He made it possible to regain the hearts that we lost. What does that heart look like? Of course, the heart of Jesus. That passage in 2 Corinthians, we read a whole list of um, graces. It's in verse 7, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 7. God wants to pour his grace through our lives, through our hearts. When God manifests himself through us, it's his grace that's coming through our lives. And he talks here about the grace of faith, or speech, or knowledge, or complete earnestness, the love, and of course the grace of giving. And as Christians, we have the potential to have God's grace flow through our hearts and lives. But it's down to us whether we allow it to flow or we don't allow it to flow. The passage in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 now, we learn something about this grace. In 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1, we read about this grace that God wants to flow through us, and we're talking about the grace of giving or generosity this morning. It says it's a grace that has been given by God. He's talking about a church, the Macedonian church, whom God has poured his grace through them, and because of what God has done, they are generous. Left to their own devices, they're not. But God has a grace he wants to pour through their lives. It says in verse 6, we can receive this grace in part or completely. We can have the complete grace of God in our hearts to cause us to be generous. In verse 7, it says we can excel in any or all of the graces. In verse 9, it says, this grace is seen in Jesus, and we know it. Through our relationship with Jesus, we know how gracious he is. We've tasted of his graciousness. And he says, because we see it in Christ, we can have it for ourselves. He isn't tempting us to show us how wonderful Jesus is, then says, you can't have it. He says, you can have this wonderful grace that Jesus has. He's ready to give it to us. It says in 9 and verse 8, God is able to make this grace abound in us. 
So this generosity that I'm talking about is not natural generosity. It is a grace that flows from God himself through the human heart and life that the words used here, it can be complete, it can excel, and it can abound. Those are the three words it's used in the NIV. You can abound in generosity. You can excel in generosity. You can be complete in generosity. Look at Christ and you can have the generosity that Christ had. A generosity where he is prepared to lay down his life for his enemies. A generosity which gives and gives and gives. It is a generosity of the heart. How can I get this? How can this be mine? How can I possess this generosity? How can I possess all these different graces that you're talking about? The grace of faith, the the grace of love, the grace of peace. How, How can I have this? Because I don't have it in the fullness of its measure. I have some love, I have some faith, I have some peace, I have some generosity, but I want more. I'm not content with who I am. I want to be like Jesus. That's why he came as an example to us. I want to give you some simple steps. The first step is that you understand that this is available. That's my job and the job of every teacher or every writer or everyone who preaches to let you know the truth of what God is saying in his word. Some people are ignorant because they don't hear the truth or the truth is never preached to them. But I'm telling you this morning, you can have the grace of God in your life. The generosity of God flowing through your life. First, we have to understand that it's available to us then we must start to believe. Believe it to be true. Lots of people hear sermons, they understand, but there's no application of belief. It's not good enough to hear the message and to go away, but to apply the message to your own life. Otherwise, they're just words that entertained you for a while and did no good. So the second step is to believe that which has been spoken and thirdly is to confess it. Now the confession of it is the confession with our mouth that such and such a thing is true to come into agreement in our hearts and to take a step of faith and start to exercise that which you have learnt. To understand, to believe to put into practice. We've already heard this morning that God has given us everything that we need, but God gives you nothing. Do you hear me? God gives you everything because he's a gracious giver, but he gives you nothing unless you lay hold of it by faith. 
You say, well, I don't want to do that. I just want him to pour blessings on me. They won't come, church. That's not how he set it up. That's not how you got saved or filled with the Holy Spirit or moved in the gifts of the Spirit. It's not how you receive the graces of God. The graces of God are received by faith to what he has said in his word, believed in your heart and moved out into a realm of confession, letting it all work. I get one and two. Three's a bit difficult. I'm going to make it easier for you. I want to read this passage from Corinthians 2 and verse 8 to you. There's a big clue in this. He said, now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonians. Macedonians were a church, probably the church of Philippi, and God gave them grace. He gave them grace. But they don't get it unless they do something for this grace. Let's read on. Out of their most severe trials and their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, there welled up a rich generosity... It's not about how much you've got generosity. The generosity I'm talking about is a generosity of heart. You understand? It's not your money. It's your heart. Whether you've got a lot or whether you've got a little, it doesn't matter much. It's whether you've got a generous heart. That's what I'm trying to get. Your heart. I don't want your money... I want your heart. I'm not here to preach about your money. I'm here to preach about your heart. That's what the preacher's really on about. I want you to have a generous heart. The Macedonians never gave much money. How do I know that? They never had much money to give. The Corinthians, on the other hand, they were rich. Without any effort, they could have outgiven the Macedonians but they didn't have a generous heart, you see. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even on, beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service in the saints. The saints in Jerusalem were starving. Paul was trying to gather some money from the churches to take to Jerusalem to feed the starving saints. And these Macedonians, who had a generous heart, insisted that they give. Gave so that they themselves could not feed or clothe them themselves so others could be blessed. That's, that's the generosity of heart. They urgently pleaded for the privilege of sharing in this service in the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with his will. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. I don't want your money. You understand? I don't want a penny of it. I want you to love God. Understand? If you love God and you love your fellow man, the rest is taken care of. To try and extract money from you when you don't love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, 
It's a pointless exercise. I could put the pressure on for a week, but the next week it's gone. But if you love God with the whole of your being, and you love fellow man, I will have to say, stop, put this money back in your purse. Just like he did there. It's your heart that God wants. It's your heart. If he's got your heart, he's got everything. Amen. Amen. Yes, Stephanie. Amen. If he's got your heart, he's got everything. They did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Our generosity will never exceed our love for God and our fellow man. Think about these things. How often do you think about God and the things of God? Well, only when I come to church. Well, you'll never give anything. It's the love of God that loosens us up. It's the love of our fellow man when we see our fellow man in need that we want to give and give and give. My responsibility is never to teach you to give, ever, but to teach you to love God. And if you don't love God, why should you give? Why should you give? I would never want to gift because you felt it was your duty to give it to me. I would want to receive a gift no matter how big or small it was because you loved me and you thought of me. And God is like us. It is not our duty to tithe. It is not our duty to give. Please, if that's the case, keep it in your pocket. Please keep it in your pocket. You say we'll be impoverished. If that's the case, we're already impoverished. Because if you don't love God, we are impoverished. Just because we got a few bob doesn't mean anything. Better we were all poor and you love God with all of your heart and you gave out of your poverty, we wouldn't have much. But it will be a fantastic church. Your giving will never exceed your love for God. Ever. Ever. Jesus said something similar to Paul, didn't he? He said we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and all our strength, and we're to love our neighbour as ourselves. I don't need any more of the Bible. It's helpful. You know what I mean? If you didn't have a Bible, but you just had that verse, you could live a fantastic, godly, Christian life. Because you would have the Holy Spirit within you to make that a reality in your life. Everything else would come into place. You wouldn't need teaching on half the other stuff. 
because your hearts would be full of a love for God. We sang how much God loves us. We have to respond to that love with love. That's it. That's the kingdom. That's what it's all about. Do you want a New Year's resolution? One that might work. I'll give you this one. To love Jesus and his Father and the Holy Spirit and our fellow man more in 2015 than we've ever loved them before. And I'll tell you, you have within you a power to make that possible. Because you can't do that. But the power of the Holy Spirit within makes that resolution possible. And that is what God is expecting of you. So don't have any other resolutions, just have that one. If you get that one, maybe all the other ones you're thinking about, they'll work. See, loving God is the essence of everything. That's it. When Paul went to the troubled church at Corinth, he said, I'll preach to you one thing. Christ, and Christ crucified. The love of God for you. That's it. Perhaps there is only one message. And that is that God loves you. I believe if you do this, you say, how, how, how can I love God more? Listen. Understand the word of God. Believe it in your heart and put it into practice. Never come to church and say, that was a good sermon. It's only good if it changes you. You understand it's only good if you believe it. It's only good if it becomes practical in your life. It just tickles your ears otherwise. And come again next week and I'll tickle them again. Or Dave will tickle them or somebody will tickle them or Lee will tickle them. But we don't want tickling ears. We want hearts that are open for the grace of God to flow through our lives. Listen. Understand, believe, and practice. And a transformation will take place from the inside of you. And in our church, a transformation will take place in your heart. Over oh, a church that are full of the love of God. God bless you in 2015. Can I just ask the worship team to come back up for one more song, please? I'm not going to say that was good, Phil. I'll let you know at the end of next year.